You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to Marketing Jam. My name is Marlon Murr, and I am here with Sean Tyson from Quietly. Today, we're going to be talking about Quietly and how they have become one of the top content producing agencies in North America. Sean, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome to be here. So why don't we get just dive right in and tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into Quietly. Yeah, I mean, I uh, studied business in university and uh, concentrated a little bit on marketing at the end. And I had a professor who recommended that I get into the agency world. They thought I'd be suited for sort of account services, stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, my first gig was in public relations, a small little PR agency uh, here in Vancouver. And they've got an office in Toronto. Um, one of the ropes, it was interesting because we were doing a lot of publicity stunt work, more guerrilla marketing, more non-traditional um, PR activities, not so much the media relations. And it was neat to see what it took to get attention with, and win the sort of hearts and minds of consumers. I had done some research in consumer behavior mm-hmm. in school, so it was pretty neat to see that applied and sort of in a real, sort of real setting. Uh, and then from there, I was uh, poached by an agency called Taxi. At the time, they were still independent, so this was before the WPP acquisition. So they, they were actively acquiring agencies throughout North America. Taxi was at the time the largest independent creative agency. Um, and in yeah, North America? In Canada, in Canada at the time. Um, so 700, 800 people. Wow. And then WPP came in and acquired it. The reason why I bring this up is because Taxi was fiercely independent. And as a result, quite creative compared to some of the more conservative sort of right. agencies um, from the big networks. Um, and so Taxi was fun. I learned a ton. We worked on a very large uh, telco account and a few other accounts, but it was a great experience for me to understand sort of the inner workings of um, paid uh, media and, of course, uh, creative advertising. It's quite different than some of the PR work I was doing, so it was complementary, but I was still sort of... I guess, curious about what else fell under the umbrella of marketing. I mean, advertising does not just equal marketing. Right. So, uh, and the internet was becoming a bit of a thing at the time. So just a little bit. Just a little bit. And uh, yeah, and around this time, I had met these crazy people from a company called Invoke. Invoke. And Invoke was this little shop in Railtown and Gastown. Um, and this is pre-Hootsuite. So they were busy developing software and products to help them service their customers. Um, but they were also just doing a lot of really interesting digital marketing work. So website development, mm-hmm. um, you know, mobile apps, uh, social media, that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I, yeah, I got into Invoke, uh, helped them on the services side as they were sort of carving, or I guess putting edges around Hootsuite. Um, and we were doing pretty incredible work uh, with large entertainment brands in the United States. And yeah, I was exposed all of a sudden to very sophisticated clients making big, big moves on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a ton of fun. And it was um, also really coming back to design-centered design thinking and, and user-centered principles. Um, my dad's an industrial designer by profession. So that stuff was becoming applicable in the f- sort of in the field of marketing and UX and digital marketing. So it was kind of full circle in terms of how I was initially interested in marketing and applying my business knowledge to what I was doing for work, essentially. And so that was really the emergence of Quietly as an answer to that question, but also as a way for us to do that um, by using a ton of data. 
And so quietly was sort of this penultimate kind of conclusion that, that we had around, okay, consumer engagement is changing. The internet is a thing. Social digital channels are, are sort of challenging the status quo of what previous agencies had done. And so quietly was really an answer to, yeah, content as a form of marketing. I mean, content isn't new, it's a thousand years old, but uh, content as a form of marketing. And so uh, as a practice, we built on that, started to gear towards enterprise. Um, yeah, and here we are today. So why the name Quietly and where did you guys come up with that name? Yeah, so when we started Quietly, we had uh, sought outside funds. So we, we raised some money at the beginning. Um, it was predicated on technology and software, so it was very much positioned as a startup. Mm -hmm. And when we were raising money, uh, everybody else was raising money, you know, Silicon Valley was, was booming, it was, it was about six years old. Um, there was a lot of bravado, a lot of machismo in the valley. Um, a lot of people flexing on their ideas and their talent, um, and that didn't really resonate with us. We were a bit more genteel in our approach, a bit more underdog Canadian. Um, and we'd seen this with Hootsuite as well, but we, we felt that quiet, a, a, more, a more quiet ethos uh, mm. captured our spirit, and we wanted to let the technology speak for itself, the results for our clients speak for itself, and so we've, we felt like in a world of noise, in a world of people standing on top of mountains, you know, claiming that their stuff's the best. Yeah. We felt like, well, we'll just, we'll be antithetical to that and, and yeah. Well, that's interesting, as a content brand who produces content for other companies, what content did you put out there to make your brand known? Yeah, I mean, this is the classic uh, cobbler's, you know, kids don't have shoes, he or she's too busy fixing everybody else's. <laughs> um, we, we do try to eat our own dog food, but I, w I will say that we're taking more and more of a exclusive or selective approach to what we publish and, and how we distribute it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've done a good job of sharing our thinking and our points of view and our methodologies. But uh, yeah, it is it is a little bit more exclusive. And uh, at the beginning, yeah, we kind of struggled with that. I think we were so busy doing it for everybody else. And I guess employing our sort of you know, the brain trust of Qualy on these, on these clients that we almost deprioritized doing it for ourselves. The other mm -hmm. thing I'll add is that we had clients coming to us quite naturally. And they were being referred from other sort of brands, and yeah, and we were lucky to sign on a couple category-leading brands. And then, so once you work like with them, um, I mean, Slack is a good example, awesome. um, Adobe. Um, yeah, I mean, a few clients that I can't really talk about either. Uh, but it, but it was it was validating for us. And then, as a result, people were paying attention. Oh, you, you work with those those guys? You should you know talk to come talk to us. So I think. Uh, Quietly was nice because the results were speaking for themselves, and yeah, I think our our sensibilities were um, and our values were like you know doers versus talkers, you know like talk is cheap kind of thing, mm -hmm. and so quietly uh, perfectly captured that. Uh, it was also a name that no other company really owned, so it was unique, and we didn't have any baggage, you know, in terms of SEO or looking online. It's pretty easy to find us and social handles and such, which are important when you're launching a business. So yeah, Quietly kind of ticked all those boxes, really. Amazing. So today, where's the brand and where's the brand heading? That is a good question. Like I said, I think there's um, a trend we're seeing more on the consumer side around almost anti-social privacy being paramount. Um, and I think our brand is heading in that direction. You know, uh, I would love to not even have to have a website. I think it'd be yeah. great for for us to be uh, more of a speakeasy vibe. Um, but I think we're doing more 
we've been doing events for a while. They're 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 invite only. They're private. They're they're heavily curated, and um, we're looking to really elevate the conversation. Not necessarily make it entirely accessible, but pull in some of the thought leaders and and I guess accelerate and elevate those conversations. And I think that will continue. So how that manifests as a brand would be more sort of private events, which is interesting in a virtual setting. So private events with other companies? Correct. Yeah. 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 We're talking to, to our own clients and sort of how they do what they do. Um, we're talking to prospective clients and learning more about what they do um, and really trying to be accretive in those conversations. So not necessarily going into best practices and explaining them for the layperson, but really more around getting more and more sophisticated and getting more rigorous around how we do what we do, uh, you know, nerding out on our methodologies and, mm-hmm. and and how we, you know, get data driven. I think there's really no end to that. And, and the team at Quietly is incredibly passionate about advancing the field of content marketing, and especially for the enterprise because the resources are there. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen a lot of success doing that. Um, and we like kind of being unknown and mysterious. That's part of the, the charm, I guess. Yeah. So. I mean, the, from my perspective, dealing with law firms and lawyers and other businesses, we always get told content is king and content gets visitors to your website, content's good for SEO, but how does a business decide and how can they choose what content to produce? Yeah, I mean, partly that's our job, to tell them what to produce and why, and to use a ton of data. And why is, is important. Too. Yeah, and, I, and you know, we would say that if you're not using data, you're lucky or you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And so our role is to find the data, uncover the insight, and essentially a line of evidence to lead us to that recommendation or that thinking. And then from there, we can start to ideate and tell the stories. So you use the data that you collect on this business and their consumers, and then use that to create content for the website and video and everything social? Yeah, yeah. Content for, I mean, content's a big word. It can mean a lot of things. It can mean uh, this podcast. It could mean speaking notes at a, you know, for your keynote. It could mean uh, video, of course, and written, written content. So we do it all. And yeah, our role is to tell them what to create and why. Sometimes they have a high horsepower team that can create the content, bring it to life. We're just there for that sort of strategic guidance or that data-driven thinking. Mm -hmm. In other cases, we are producing it. Um, Sometimes we're also helping them distribute it, target it, amplify it. Uh, we're measuring all the time, and the last comment I'll make is that we're often helping them build those capabilities in-house. So most brands have like pretty dialed marketing operations, yeah. but when it comes to content operations, it's fairly new. They're, they're shipping ads, they're not running a newsroom, they're not producing shows, and so we're helping them think through the people, process, and tools to do that effectively, um, giving them sort of the fishing rods, teaching them how to fish. Um, so I think it's across the entire life cycle, and to your question to your point content can be anything so you know what is the best piece of content mm-hmm. to go to market with I mean there's enough content in the world I think we have to choose the best piece not just create more of it yeah. and and that's our role as a partner as a content partner and I I think when you're talking about these channels and the types of content you can push out there um, it's important to understand how you can own that content and I mean that in the, the sort of the true sense that we're not your own channels but are, you know the content you're pushing on some of these social channels um, that audience that you're developing you're you're essentially renting it from the Facebooks of the world or whatever right if if Facebook wants to throttle you back and you're pay to play um, that's not super awesome for brands who have worked so hard to create the content to develop the audience but if you are emailing or you have content on your website and your own channels like you own that mm-hmm. and if you can attract people to come in and read it um, you're effectively acting like a publisher and less of an advertiser 
And the other thing I'd say is, I'm going to oversimplify this, but when we define content yeah. versus advertising, I would fairly simply define it as like anything that's blockable is an ad and anything that sort of is consumed otherwise would be content. And what side of the equation do you want to be on? People buy magazines, but they block ads. Mm -hmm. And so if you think in a more editorial mind, mindset and you think about how you could deliver value and entertainment and substance information and so on, um, yeah, we're really helping brands start to do that because it's a longer term um, time horizon, but it's kind of the future. We're seeing a convergence of, you know, distribution and content and owned and earned and paid. And, and I think if you have really strong content, that's going to make your paid more effective. You have to spend less to get in front of people. It's going to make your earned work probably more effectively because you're going to have more substance to right. stories to share and tell. Um, and then on your own site, it's not just about the products and services. You need to be merchandising that with editorial. You need to sort of message around it in creative ways. So um, yeah, content is very in vogue. Of course, I'm biased, but I think um, it's extremely important for brands to understand. And I think they need to do it well because the consumers deserve as much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're getting hyper efficient at delivering ads no one really wants. Like you think about click-through yeah. rates, you think about like banner ads. When's the last time you clicked on a banner ad? I'm not so sure. Google ads even. I don't click on the first three rankings ever. Yeah. Because I know their ads. I know they play, pay to be there. Yeah. Um, and usually the organic rankings are right after the first three. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's funny. I love Google products, Google Maps. You know, we use G Suite um, at work uh, for the enterprise. But I think when you look at their traditional search products, it's being increasingly monetized. And as a result, the paid paid stuff comes up top. And I, yeah, I don't love Google search. I think the search engine experience could be improved. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's what these companies are doing. They're monetizing through ad. It's ad tech, right? And so when we think about content versus ads or ad tech, yeah, that's a bit of a different, you create good content and use money to target it effectively versus buying the media and filling it with creative. That's a totally different order. Right. So we're coming in and saying, hey, there's a new order. Here's how you do it. We can do it for you. And uh, it's been a ton of fun. And I think the category leading brands get that. They're doing it. Mm -hmm. Other brands are seeing them do that. That becomes sort of the best of next Follow practices. And so, yeah. So I think in time we'll see things start to shift to more of a content centric, it's a customer first approach to you want my time, what are you going to give me in exchange? Right. Yeah. And I, I find businesses really need to, especially after COVID and all that, engage with your client and really appease to them and their values, um, having to make sure your business and their values are in line. Yeah. And finding them. Yeah, exactly. Know your audience, know your content, right? Know, know their journey, know where and what you're, you're distributing to them. Why are they them. coming to you? Yeah, 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 exactly. There's very much a, a jobs to be done with content. And I hearken back to my father and industrial design and service design and, and those kind of um, UX principles, if you will. And it's very easy. It's like, what are you delivering a value to the customer? Mm -hmm. And content can be a really good vehicle for that. Right. Ads, not so much. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's a mix of activities that fall under marketing. And I think um, the mechanics of promoting content is really the same as advertising. Uh, I just think that taking a content first approach and a, almost like a, a customer first approach is great. I, again, I come back to that magazine ad dichotomy. Like you'll buy a magazine, mm -hmm. you'll pay to read that content. Right. That's fundamentally different than you sort of blocking and avoiding ads. Right. Um, and so again, we're really trying to stay on that side of the equation. Most of us, to be fair, are from the ad world. We come from creative agencies, ad agencies, um, 
digital marketing agencies, mm-hmm. we we understand uh, the sort of the world that we were we come you know we come from that. But I think um, being able to know also where it's going is important. And at Invoke and with Hootsuite, you know these these brands at the time they were like, what, what are you talking about? You, you need someone to tweet for Twitter? I mean, if you, you seriously, if you told someone that. 20 years ago, they'd be like, you're out to lunch. But we were visionary to a degree, and we understood that this is how the future, you know, the future was changing, consumers were going to engage in different ways, and yeah, community management, social media was a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think that brands need to do that themselves. I, you know, outsourcing it to a degree can be helpful, but I, I think that understanding how those channels work, having the tools to make them more effective, mm-hmm. you know, the, that is still in our DNA from, from Invoke, yeah. which is cool. I think a lot of a lot of businesses have an issue with internal marketing because either they can't trust the people to do it, they feel like it's going to cost them too much to do it internally, and they just have an expert like your agency kind of do it for them. Um, do you guys provide any sort of training or anything like that for internal teams? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, we have a, a varied mix of skills and people who come from publishing, journalism, you know, consulting, service design. And as a result, we can bring an outside-in perspective, and we can share our sort of philosophies and tactics and strategies. So we do a lot of yeah, we do a lot of training, we do a lot of workshops, a lot of um, essentially change management. When you start mm-hmm. to think content first instead yeah. of ad first, there's change there. And uh, so the training is both tactical, but it's also cultural. There's you know there's things that we're trying to indoctrinate and you know philo- get philosophical to a degree. So we do a lot of training um, and. We tend to be more specialized and narrow to editorial. And again, I'm not talking about reporting or journalism or news. Uh, I think it's really more about telling stories and editorializing a message and helping them understand creative ways of getting that story out. But still coming back to the business, to the marketing and communications objectives. So um, a story may look beautiful and it may read well, but make no mistake, there it's, you know, it's engineered to hit on a few key points mm-hmm. and it's engineered to drive that consumer to action. There was thought put into it. A hundred percent. Thought yeah. and data put into the content and that's why it was produced. Yeah. So I find a lot of businesses, and maybe you find the same thing, that produce content but they don't really have a target, they don't have a goal, but they're just putting content out there just to say they have content. Yeah. Now, is that a good thing to do? Should they be refocusing their efforts? How should they be really targeting their audience? Yeah, I don't think it's a good thing to do, to produce content for content's sake. I think they need to be purposeful, um, and intentional and understand who they're creating it for. Uh, if you know your audience and you know where they're at and the needs and wants they potentially have, then we can articulate how that content can deliver against those needs and the wants. So if they are seeking information around X, Y, or Z, then we can craft content and stories to deliver against that. Um, and so if you're not doing that, then I don't think you should be producing content at all. And you should sort of save the attention of your audience so that when you do seize it, you've got it. So we talk about save or seize. Um, but this idea of, of instead of just kind of always, you know, blasting out content and mess. I, HubSpot, you know, kind of, I don't want to say they, they coined this, but they really just, they dumped a lot of content on the internet around every potential angle and idea and topic. Everything. And yeah, and I, and I think that was effective because they were one of the first. And this was early sort of inbound marketing, you know, best practices. But I think as we enter peak content, if you will, um, you need to have better stories, not more. And so again, your story can be better if it's more effectively delivering against an audience need or want. It can be better if it's uh, 
more well-written, more entertaining. You know, again, you know when you read something, maybe it's a feature in like Bloomberg or Vanity Fair, and you're like, oh God, this is so good. And it's in your Yeah, you're in it. Like, you're connected. In it. Like, you feel yeah. like you know the author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's what brands should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. And we asked the, I guess the more existential question, would you rather consume uh, an ad that you don't love, but you know it was paid for, or would you rather read a story that may have had a corporate interest at play? Right, so Monocle is the famous example. So you pick up a Monocle magazine, and like half that content's like paid for, it's integrated, sponsored. So if you read an article about how Rolls-Royce GE and Cafe build airplanes, you know who paid for that, right? right. That's a, a more sophisticated way of, instead of doing an ad, they like write a story. Now, I happen to be in the heavy industry, I like this kind of stuff, so I find it pretty fascinating, and it's delivering value because I'm learning stuff and I'm being entertained. Is that better than an ad? Maybe, maybe not. So again, we come into this sort of existential discussion where, you know, content marketing, is that the best way for a brand to get its message out? Mm-hmm. Many different ways to market your message, and right. content can take you into experiential, into real life programming, uh, so on and so forth. So I think for us, you know, don't just create content for content's sake. Um, be purposeful and be targeted. And the last thing I'll say is that data can help substantiate that thinking significantly. You could say, well, what's the data telling us? Do we see people actually searching for this stuff? If so, then yeah, there's a business case to be made around content that can be produced. If there's data that tells us that your existing audience is really reading and engaging these pieces on, on your site, then sure, let's think about that yeah. further and, and maybe create more. So where, do you, where, where are you getting your data from? Like what, where are you data mining? Uh, everywhere. I mean, a combination of first-party data from the client. Yeah. They're going to have analytics running on their, own, on their channels. Um, and then third-party data. So we're looking at search a ton. We're looking at social listening. We're looking just even more widely at the competitive set. Mm-hmm. So uh, where are your competitors seeing success or engagement with content or not? And let's identify that white space. Um, I think a lot of brands are myopic around their competitors. They'll say, well, you're competing with these people on a business level, but you're actually competing with publishers who are talking about the same thing. We're all competing for the same eyeballs, right? So, um, you know, Indochino sells custom menswear. They'll tell you they're competing with Suit Supply mm-hmm. and Black Lapel, whatever. Um, but they're actually competing with GQ and Esquire because if you're reading Indochino content, you expect it to be as good as those magazines, right? right? So there's, yeah. there's expectation transfer. It transcends the category. A little bit, and so um, really, when we think about data from competitors, you just you widen the competitive set, and you get really sort of granular around. Well, where is Esquire and GQ seeing success? How can that data or insight inform opportunities for the brand, and they can create their own custom content around that? So, so you, you look outside of your current bubble of competition, and you expand that search out to something huge like GQ. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, some of the data can be quite orthogonal and enlightening. You can say, wow, we're seeing these types of brands in this industry do this well from a content perspective. Right. Cool, let's consider that. Okay, people are searching for X, uh, people are talking about Y on social media, and then let's go back to the brand's own channels. So they've got marketing automation, they've got email, they've got their website, their e-com data. All of that stuff comes in, and we're essentially analyzing, aggregating, um, and coalescing around a few themes that we think are going to work. And then from there, we can pretty specifically identify content ideas or topics that we think are going to perform well and importantly are aligned to the business's objectives and to the brief, if you will. So um, data can come from everywhere and at every altitude as well. Mm. So again, search, you can look at 
trends year over year. You can look at geographical patterns. People search different language and queries in certain parts of the world. So even regionally, you start to understand, well, how should you be describing things? How should you be writing around certain content? So it can be very search focused. Or you may say, people are searching for this, um, but that could inspire us to post it on social. So it doesn't mean you're just like staying within the channel. Right. You're taking data and insights from across all the channels and really using that to inform your creative planning. So what would you say is the most important piece of content someone put out there? Video? Is it a blog? Is it pictures? What can they use or what should they use to attract a better audience? So the, 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 everybody talks about video. Yeah. It's very fashionable. It is important. I think video usage and creation consumption is going to increase uh, exponentially over the years. But I, it comes back to knowing your audience and knowing the purpose or the, the role that content needs to play. So I'll give you two funny examples. Um, one, we're, we're running content on a, on a trade publication mm-hmm. to help with recruitment and retention of um, essentially an employee type for, for a brand that will remain nameless. And we produced all this video and it was performing pretty well, but not as well as the written articles, mm. which is counter to some of the things you may think, right? Yeah. So again, for that particular audience on that trade publication, video isn't necessarily the move. We're, lo- we're noticing that through the data and we're optimizing our decisions as we go. Let's maybe not produce so, so much so video. So you'll change your perspective and change your approach as you get new data. Totally. Amazing. And you can, you can even uh, begin to get iterative. So you could say, well, people are looking at the videos, but they're falling off the three-minute mark. They're five minutes long. So why don't you just recut the video, shorten it, republish it? That would be a, a much better use of your funds than creating net new content. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm going to go the other direction, and again in the sort of B2B world, you're you're we're working with a company that does medical record technology. So um, you're compliant to OCR, and you're thinking about a lot of these things, but you're trying to get this information to doctors' offices, to clinicians, fax machines. Sounds crazy, but fax machines are the yeah. most effective way to get that through. So sometimes we're creating content by facsimile to get to doctors and doctor's offices. So you're, in, it's 2020, it's June yeah. 25th, 2020, and yeah. you're using a fax machine to get clients. Know your audience, know your message, or wow. know, know your medium. Um, again, it totally changes. I think on the consumer side with a brand like Herschel, you're gonna go to Insta, you're gonna maybe even think about TikTok, and you're gonna find the mediums that are most effective to resonate with the customers you're trying to target. But yeah, if you're B2B and you're looking for, you know, to sell, so medical technology, then fax machines are a pretty good move. And again, I think it's, it's not an either or. I think you're going to know that there's certain channels and formats that are most effective for certain customers at certain stages of their journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, text messages are pretty important as well, right? And we're dealing with a client, of a Fortune 100 client who's trying to drive awareness around an internal program with executives. These people are busy. They're on the road. They're on the go. We need short, succinct copy delivered to them on the phone. Sounds, sounds have, like an SMS, sounds like a text message. Right, yeah. Because they don't have 15 minutes to watch a video or five minutes to watch a video. They need something quick. Totally, yeah, we have to synthesize all of that good thinking into one small little nugget that you know is gonna land. And so it's gotta be done with style, it's gotta be done with the voice and tone that's appropriate. But I do think that you know, being more critical to the channels, we, we just assume for all intents and purposes that it's you know Facebook, Twitter, whatever. No. But again, if we're looking more critically at Understanding that audience, that customer, understanding their journeys and the channels they use to get information objectively. So not the the, the media that they're maybe can, being exposed to, but objectively, where do they get their information and why? Mm-hmm. Then it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of saying, cool, we need to tell the most effective story. Or maybe there's not even really a story involved. It's just information and content. But 
How do we merchandise it? How do we distribute it? That's all in a day's work. And I think um, as we progress and mature in the field of content marketing, you're going to see that get better. People are going to get more discerning and we'll get to fewer, better pieces of content than more. This is the kind of the HubSpot peak content stuff that we're trying to get away from. Um, and I think it will continue to change. New channels will launch. I mean, how, you know, what's your content on TikTok? It's going to be very different than how you would, you know, create it for a different channel. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, that is our role. That is our job. Um, mm -hmm. We're very passionate about it, as you could probably tell. And I think the clients are becoming more critical to the same line of questioning because they're spending money and the content in essence takes more sort of time and effort. Right. So your non-working spend goes up. Um, maybe your working spend comes down. So you're just paying less on the, the ad unit, if you will, more on the story that you're telling within the ad unit. Um, and so as a result, there's more scrutiny on the content, the production process. Mm -hmm. And that's where we come in. Amazing. So where do you see content going? You said TikTok's going to be changing. How we um, engage our customers is going to change. Where do you see it going in the next 10 years? Uh, how much time do you got? Uh, <laughs> I think that's, that's the million dollar question. I think there's a number of brands who are making provocative moves and showing us where it could go. So you've got Airbnb and Shopify like funding documentaries. That's going to drive brand association awareness. Um, they've got equity and, and they're doing a lot of things already. Um, you know, Airbnb's got a magazine. Um, and I, I, guess, I guess where I'm going with this is brands with the best content will win. Now that's a trite statement. But what I mean by that is brands whose content is so good that people will pay for it can then create revenue centers as publishing centers instead of marketing cost centers. So I was in a, a Hudson News a few months ago and I'm looking at the newsstand and there's Red Bull's magazine. That's the sort of the classic example, Red Bull Media House. Airbnb's magazine. I saw Rotman's magazine, which mm. we know is a magazine to promote the NBA program at University of Toronto. And I'm like, okay, well this is all branded content, but I have to pay for this magazine, $5.99, $6.99, whatever. You know they're monetizing it with an ad sales team and they got a media kit, right? And what a, a powerful way for me to be exposed and aware of what that brand or organization is doing and get entertained and learn things. And like that's a really powerful form of marketing. So, you know, I'm gonna oversimplify this and think longer term, but brands who have the best publications, who produce the best shows, who are who have the best content are going to attract their own audiences and they won't be at the mercy of renting and paying to play on the social channels and such. So I think, where's it going? Brands will reduce their spend on advertising as we know it in a more traditional sense. They'll increase their uh, spend and efforts in content and earn in some of these kind of programs that I'm talking about. Um, and then, yeah, over time, I think we'll see it start to shake out. We've seen the decline of programmatic and digital. We've seen, you know, at a home isn't super hot right now, given there's a pandemic. Mm. But I think TV, you know, print, these things are expensive. And when you start to add it all up, it's like, well, it costs $100, let's say, to produce the article. And it costs $10,000 to run the ads. The article could take a bit, a bit of money and get people in front of it. But I think there's going to be more effective use of funds on content. And so where is it going? I think... Yeah, content is king. Mm -hmm. And final question for you, sir. Let's say I'm a business and I'm a startup. I have $5,000 to spend on marketing. What's the best way to use my money? I would spend the time mapping out, even if it's anecdotal, I would spend the time mapping out your prospective customer or your current customers, 
try to understand um, the sort of the psychographic elements, not the demographic elements, but just you know what really makes them who they are and, and defining how they behave, how they act, their attitudes. Their values. Their values. Then I would map out at a very high level the journey that they take in becoming aware. So there's some aided awareness to be made aware of this new business. Mm -hmm. And then maybe defining what's in their consideration set so they you can understand the things they're thinking, if they're going to make a purchase with you or not. Right. And then if they do purchase, what's that experience and then post-purchase loyalty advocacy. So I'd map that out. And then I would go to the data and try to find some opportunities that are substantiated by the data along that journey on where content can most effectively play the role and then just prioritize. So if you're like, okay, well, people are probably searching for this a lot. That's why we built this business as a response. Mm -hmm. Is there not? Is there content that exists that answers that question effectively? If not, let's produce it. In time, it'll hopefully get picked up and it'll signal to the search engines of the world. Um, but that's a much more instructive way of producing content to drive awareness, engagement, and conversion than just creatively thinking of good con content ideas or maybe spending money to hopefully hit the audiences that you think are qualified. Um, so I'd come to more of a service design CX mentality and again, $5,000, yeah, I think you'd have to be frugal, but I think you could be smart and uh, be critical around if you had only one produce, produce one thing, where can content uh, play the largest role in the journey for that customer um, and go from there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sean. Thank you. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Marketing Jam. This was Sean Tyson from Quietly. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. <laughs>